Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. I'm Damian Bulwa. Today on Fifth and Mission, Stanford's president is resigning amid a very difficult year for the university. On Wednesday, after months of questions about problems with widely cited scientific research he authored, Stanford's president, Dr. Mark Tessier-Levine, said he will step down. His announcement came after a young journalist at the Stanford Daily student newspaper broke the story that revealed the flaws in the research. It also came after an independent review panel dug into 12 of Tessier-Levine's research papers. The report found no evidence that he knowingly falsified data, but he was forced to retract three papers and correct two more. In a statement, Tessier-Levine said his resignation is, quote, for the good of the university. Crucially, a new president will now take the helm of a university that remains one of the nation's best, but is weathering a rough patch. There have been other high-profile departures, and students are concerned about Stanford's response to sexual assault and to suicides on campus. My guests are Chronicle Higher Education reporter Nanette Asimov and Theo Baker. Theo is the aforementioned Stanford Daily journalist whose reporting brought down the university president. Nanette and Theo, thanks for joining me. Happy to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Theo, I want to start with you. Who is Mark Tessier-Levine and why is he stepping down as Stanford president? Mark Tessier-Levine is one of the world's most famous neuroscientific researchers who became Stanford's president in 2016. He has just resigned his post earlier this week as a result of a chain of events that, that began with reporting I did last fall. Essentially, they identified a number of allegations of research alteration and manipulation in papers that he was either co-author or the principal author of. Now, nobody has accused Tessier-Levine of directly altering results himself. According to a report that just came out, Tessier-Levine was responsible for inculcating a lab culture which consistently allowed people to falsify results, and then he consistently failed to correct them when he was made aware. And Nanette, he stepped down. He was not fired, correct? And is he still at the university? He is still at the university. He will remain as president just through the end of August, and the university has hired already an interim president who is a classics professor there named Richard Seller. But Tessie Levine will remain on the faculty and doing his neuroscience research on campus. All right, Theo, you broke this story. Can you take us back to last year? How did you become aware of it? How did it begin? Yeah, so it's really important to note that the story did not start out exactly where it ended. What we started out with were rumors that had been floating around since 2015 on scientific forums. These are posts made by anonymous users identifying what they thought were splices and photoshopping in images that were used to support the research that Tessier Levine had done. What we did is we took those allegations that had been hovering in corners of the internet, we took them to real-life forensic image analysts who were able to verify a lot of the allegations. And so we started out with a report that was primarily based on open source reporting. That means that what we did is we saw things that were hidden in plain sight. And from there, it has evolved into a, a much more complex story. But where we started was was just looking at the things that had already been published and, and analyzing where it seems like there had been Photoshopping. 
All right, Theo, you said, I believe the president was not accused in this report of directly manipulating things. He was not accused of fraud, correct? He's never been accused of directly manipulating anything, which is pretty par for the course for a PI, a principal investigator of his stature. Nobody would expect Levine to be in a lab conducting experiments himself because he is, of course, principally responsible for the funding of his lab grants. And uh, of course, a lot of this research happened while he was a major executive at biotech giant Genentech and responsible for other things too. Well, then break it down for us. I mean, what is the nature of this then? If there are problems with this research, how does that happen? Yeah, so what happens is that uh, according to the report that Stanford just put out, but also corroborating reporting that has gone on for the last few months, Tessie Levine created a culture that rewarded the winners, that is people who could produce the data that he wanted, and punished the losers, that's people who weren't able to. And that created a culture where people consistently were falsifying research in the hopes of perhaps pleasing Tessie Levine, and also for these high-stakes publications of making a name for themselves, because these papers really were widely cited and important to the field. And of course, what happens after that is is an entirely different matter. Once these papers go out into the wild, it's true that for the last 20 years, people have identified errors, have identified issues, have identified suspected manipulation, and written to Tessier Levine and asked him to correct or withdraw papers, and he has consistently failed to act on those requests for a period between 2001 and 2021. So that's two decades and three different institutions. Nanette, what did Tessier Levine say as he resigned? Well, he completely emphasized the part of the report and the findings that absolved him from the most egregious falsification. So while emphasizing that, he also acknowledged that he would have to retract three of the papers that for which he was a principal author. There were five that were studied and that he would have to correct the other two. And so... This report acknowledged that they only looked at a dozen and already found severe problems with the five that for which he was a primary author and problems with the others as well. But he has to retract three and correct two of them. Now, I want to get into something, Theo, and I would urge listeners to read Theo's work at the at the Stanford Daily the report refuted the most serious claim involving Dr. Tessier Levine's work regarding a 2009 Alzheimer's study. Theo, this was something that you, like many other things, first reported. What was your reaction to that? Your article goes into whether this panel is even correct in this report. Yeah. So listen, uh, as you know, I've been reporting on Tessier Levine. I've also been reporting on this panel. I reported right at the start that it was announced in an investigation that also praised Tessier Levine's, quote, integrity and honor. I exposed the fact that one of the people appointed to investigate him had an $18 million stake in his company. And most recently, I've reported the fact that uh, witnesses, even those with non-disclosure agreements, were not allowed anonymity or were not guaranteed it from Tessier Levine or in public reports, even though they were ultimately not named. I have reported the accounts of five high-level genetic tech executives and senior scientists who alleged that the fault in a 2009 paper was not merely sloppy research, but it was fabrication and fabrication on the part of a postdoc. There are a lot of uh, little things that basically everybody aligns with. Everybody agrees that there was an internal review of the research. That internal review ordered more experiments. They found they couldn't replicate the paper. They canceled research based on the paper. And now the report is saying that he should withdraw that paper or at least issue a robust correction, which is something that even a few months ago, Tessie Levine was publicly saying would be a totally inappropriate response. So there are a lot of points of agreement, but I do think that the report is missing out on some context from sources who told us that they would not speak to the committee. Theo, tell us why they would not speak to the committee. You 
reported on that? Yeah, so we released reporting recently that that showed that this committee, which has obviously had the stumbles we just talked about, was also not guaranteeing witnesses' anonymity from Tessie Levine or in potential public reports. And that was a non-starter for several people who had direct knowledge uh, inside Genentech because they were violating non-disclosure agreements to talk about it. And obviously, Tessie Levine is himself a powerful man. So this panel could have learned more had they relaxed a little bit and said, all right, we guarantee you anonymity. Well, this panel, one of the other things we reported, uh, received allegations in writing that never made it into the report. So there are a lot of questions still about this finding. And Theo, to be clear, there are people who have spoken to you who did not speak to this panel. Yes, a number. Let me put it this way. Uh, This has been my life for the last year. I have been invested in this story very wholeheartedly. I have spent well over a thousand hours sourcing. And I think there's a reason that we have been able to consistently push out exclusive reporting that other people have not had access to. And that's because we've put in the man hours. It's because we've put our effort into the thoroughness and and, uh, effective sourcing that is really needed for something like this. It's incredible, incredible work. We are gonna take a quick break. We'll be right back on Fifth Admission after this. You're listening to Fifth and Mission. You can support the newsroom that creates this podcast by signing up for unlimited access at sfchronicle.com slash pod or by downloading the San Francisco Chronicle app. Welcome back to Fifth and Mission. I'm Damian Bulwa, joined by Chronicle reporter Nanette Asimov, who covers higher education, and Theo Baker, investigative editor and reporter at the Stanford Daily. We're talking about the resignation at Stanford of Dr. Mark Tessier-Levine, the president of the university. And Nanette, this isn't the only thing that's been going on at Stanford. There was another high-profile resignation this week at the law school. What can you tell us about that? That's right. On Thursday, Stanford announced that Tyrion Steinbeck had left the university, and she was the Associate Dean of Diversity. And she was notable because in March, she'd been suspended for aligning with student hecklers who shouted down a Trump-appointed judge who was trying to, to give a talk. And she made national news because she was recorded on video telling a federal appeals court judge that his work has had caused harm to students. He, he had acted to suppress transgender rights, oppose same-sex marriage. And so she confronted him alongside the hecklers and said that his work had caused harm to students as they were trying to stop him from talking. And this resulted in the law school dean, Jenny Martinez, having to apologize to the judge. And she issued a 10-page memo that took this kind of stance that is, you know, so rare these days in the polarized culture war. And she wrote, look, the commitment to diversity and equity and inclusion means that you have to protect free expression of all views. And this was the opposite for Tyrion Steinbeck. She was suspended and this week she resigned. Nanette, it's been kind of a trying time at Stanford in general. What's been going on and why has it captured the attention of so many people around the country? Well, they care about Stanford, because Stanford is basically, it's not an Ivy League school, but it's the Ivy of the West. You know, everybody really cares about Stanford. It is sort of an innovation. Instagram came out of there. Google was created by those guys. They helped develop the internet. They made MRIs possible. I mean, it's a major global engine of innovation that everybody thinks is very important. But the university has been experiencing so many problems over the last year. It sees 
literally dozens of rapes every year. It's had suicides last year. It lost a nurse, a star athlete, a law student. You know, there's been tragedies. I mean, there's just been so many missteps at Stanford. They allowed an intruder for 10 months to live on campus, posing as a friendly student, but who was menacing women. They've been accused of, of protecting sexual predators, failing to fire professors and, or expel students found responsible for sexual violence. And the list goes on. So uh, people are kind of wondering, what, what, is, what is happening at Stanford University? So Theo, as both a journalist and a Stanford student, how has this landed on campus? Yeah, it's been a rough year for Stanford, and I don't think I'm editorializing to say that. In addition to everything you talked about, there was also a a genetics professor who had to pay $29.2 million in a fraud case he lost. There was an alleged war on fun that has led to an increase in alcohol-related hospitalizations and a dramatic reduction in social events of all types. There has been a, a dramatic reshuffling with this neighborhood system that has frustrated students to no end. It's been really hard. And look, I'm not, I'm, I'm a journalist. I'm not in the business to give opinions. One thing I do feel really strongly about personally, Stanford has a really bad rape problem. You know, our rates of rape are roughly comparable to other schools our size. What isn't comparable is the fact that only 2% of people ever report their rapes at Stanford. The national average is about 20%, and even that is horrible. But the 2% statistic represents a really troubling sign for Stanford. It shows that people are not willing to go through the process because they don't think that they will be helped. Two people in the history of Stanford have been expelled for rape. So I think we're facing a lot of problems as an institution, and it's certainly not helped by the fact that in the months since I started reporting this, The president has stepped down, the provost has stepped down, the dean of research has stepped down, and the slack head was just replaced. So it's just, it's a really hard time for Stanford, especially for an institution that is so wealthy. It has an annual budget higher than 11 U.S. states. So should we be seeing signals here that high-ranking academics are not as safe in their positions or perhaps untouchable as we might have thought? You know, I talked to a crisis communications consultant about, about Stanford not long ago, and he said What's happening at Stanford is really indicative of the fact that institutions that were formerly held in high regard, you know, are having so much trouble when it comes to trust and reputation and that the key to effective crisis management is to fix those problems. So, you know, as Theo just pointed out, when you have these leaders stepping down and nobody is really on the ball because they're distracted with these other issues, fixing the problems becomes secondary, you know, to dealing with their own problems. And as Larry Kamer, the the crisis consultant said, Stanford has the power to fix itself, but the question is, will they do it? Gotcha. Theo, I do want to talk about you for a minute. What has life been like while you've been so involved in this story? And also, you know, you guys are an independent paper, of course, but there is inevitably going to be tension, isn't there, between a university and a student paper? Yeah, I mean, it's been a long few months. We've spent a hell of a lot of time uh, trying to get the sourcing done, trying to get the stories right, working with our editorial advisors from the Washington Post, from the New York Times, working with our lawyers pretty extensively, especially since Tessier Levine's lawyers began attempting to block the publication of articles that detailed his involvement in certain incidents at his time in Genentech. So obviously, look, this has been a stressful time. I also think that it, it represents the importance of independence at a student newspaper. We've been independent for exactly 50 years this year, which is remarkable. And I'm really proud of our team that we've been able to put these stories together at at what I think is a a high quality. 
Theo, I, I wasn't aware that the president's lawyers were trying to block your newspaper from publishing. Can you just speak briefly on that? Yeah, I mean, we've reported a fair amount of this publicly. Uh, Mark Tessé Levine hired Stephen Neal, who is the chair emeritus of Cooley, one of the largest law firms out here, to basically spend his time uh, going after the Daily for its reporting. He sent a number of aggressive letters both before and after the publication of articles, uh, seeking to block the recollections of high-level executives at Genentech and seeking also to have articles retracted after the fact uh, based on Tessé Levine's denial. So Theo, what's next for you? You are heading, as we said, into your sophomore year. Are you going to continue reporting? Do you even want to be a journalist? <laughs> well, I think I need to choose a major before I get a career path going. But, um, you know, I'm <laughs> I'm looking forward to next year. Stanford is, uh, you know, a, a true land of opportunity. I've been really lucky to experience its fruits. And so I, I'm looking forward to being back on campus, being around interesting people. Theo Baker and Nanette Asimov, thank you both so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks to my guests today, Chronicle Higher Education reporter Nanette Asimov and Stanford Daily reporter and Stanford student Theo Baker. Thanks to Keith Menconi, Laura Wenis, Gary Baca, and King Kaufman for producing this episode. And thank you for listening. <laughs>